What's up, fools? This is the QTR Podcast. Today is June 22nd, 2021. Very happy to be here. First and foremost, I want to shout out my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up through Patreon and make a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. You guys make it all possible. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers at JM Bullion. JM Bullion has been in the business for nearly a decade. They have done over $3 billion in sales. It is the only gold and silver bullion dealer that I order my gold and silver bullion from. Since they have been supporting the podcast, there has not been another place where I have bought gold or silver. That is a true story. So it's been like a year or two now that I have appreciated JM Bullion being a partner. And not only that, but I've appreciated being a client of theirs. They turn around orders very quickly. They always have a robust inventory to choose from. The prices are always competitive. And QTR podcast listeners have their own representative that they can speak to, Laura. And you can email her, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. Laura at jmbullion.com would love to help you if you are a first-time buyer, if you have questions, if you just don't feel like going through the website, you want a personalized touch, which I prefer when I'm buying gold and silver bullion. They ship quickly. They package discreetly. They've been nothing but professional since I've been working with them. They are a large supporter of the podcast. So if you love me, shoot some love over to JM Bullion. Links to JM Bullion are also in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by Sanglucci and Wall Street Jesus, who have a wonderful piece of software called the Steam Room. The link to that is also in my podcast description. The Steam Room gives you insights into tape reading that you just can't do on your own. The Steam Room is a beautiful piece of software that points out where big money is moving, oftentimes in the illiquid options market. This can be used many times to help determine where stocks, equities may be going in the future. A lot of times moves in the options market will telegraph moves in the broader market. And there's no better piece of software to help you recognize that and help you look at the tape and help you understand what's going on than the Steam Room. It's a -a one-of-a-kind piece of software. These guys have been working on it for probably a decade now, almost a decade they've been working on this piece of software. It's beautiful to look at. It is incredibly functional, and it's the type of piece of software that can pay for itself if you don't use it like an asshole. This podcast, uh, what am I saying? Come on, idiot. Oh, yeah, the Steam Room. The link is in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friend Pete Hedges over at The Trader's Path, which is a no-bullshit day trading service that provides investor education, chat rooms, daily watch lists, charts, pretty much anything you would want from an active day trading community. And the best part is that Pete Hedges started this service called The Trader's Path. He was a QTR podcast listener. Before he started it, he started it and reached out to me and had me check it out. I got to know Pete. I said, all right, you seem like a decent guy to do business with. We've had a great relationship ever since. He's been a huge supporter of mine, and his service has been wonderful. He started it because he got tired of the nonsense and bullshit of other day trading services, namely some of those that have been scrutinized by certain government organizations of late. Not going to go into names, but Pete left what he thought was a questionable service to start the trader's path, which is an honest and friendly community for day traders. Highly recommend checking it out. Link to that is in my podcast description. Finally, this podcast brought to you by my dear buddy, George Gammon, who just wrapped up the insanely successful Rebel Capitalist Live in Miami, Florida. George's platform is called Rebel Capitalist Pro. He's joined with Chris McIntosh and Lynn Alden to do 
I think, three live Q&As on a weekly basis. And they also have an incredible forum where they share all of their investing ideas, all of their thoughts about macro. And George Gammon, you've probably heard him on my podcast. Uh, He is like-minded in the way that I think, the way that I look at the macro economy. Uh, He's a nice guy. He's a professional. He's somebody that I would trust to do business with. Uh, I actually reached out to him and said, would you like to support the podcast? Because I get so many offers for sponsorships and I turn everybody down because I can't vet people. So I reached out to George and I'm like, dude, I already know you. I know you're an honest person. I like your service. I like where you come from. Why don't you support the podcast? And he was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So here I am shouting out George Gammon and his wonderful platform, Rebel Capitalist Pro. You can catch me on there often. I'm over in the forums a lot. The link to that is in my podcast description. You can reach out to any of these guys, Sang Lucci, Wall Street Jesus, Pete Hedgetus, George Gammon, JM Bullion, all their links to Twitter are in my podcast description. Tell them I sent you. They will make sure that you get taken care of well. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my friends at Investors Underground and Traders for a Cause. Ken R., longtime supporter Chris Bede. Can't thank you enough for your continued support. Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, shipping analyst Jay Mintzmeyer. Shipping is hot right now. Check out my buddy Jay Mintzmeyer. He's uh, one of the best in the business. Russ Valenti, my dear friend, Crichton Titus, Camila Soul, Max Mulvihill has been supporting me now for over three years. Thank you, Max. Same with Mark Haywood and Kyle Thomas, Chris Bede. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. And I'm just going to shout out some of my newest patrons, and then we are going to get on with the damn show. I want to shout out some people that have joined up on my Patreon recently. As soon as I stop stalling and get the goddamn list up, where is it? Here it is. Sort by join date. Got it. Gerald Burns. What's up, brother? Thank you, my friend. Brad Nesseth, Gavin Thomas, and Ed Kamemeyer. Ed, well, Ed K. Thank you, Ed, whatever the fuck your name is. Eric Wilhelm, Kathleen Kelly. Thank you, Kathleen, for uh, supporting the podcast. David Reed, Traverse, Mad King of Metals, and David Barker. Still with me with Mr. Q and Lucas Dara. John Govern. And how about some people that have been with me for a hot minute how about Vinny Scarcella, my friend D.H. Mick Dosty. Thank you so much, Robert Mizello. Your continued support is very much appreciated. And finally, we'll pick one more name from the list. I do these at random. Why? Because I'm a kooky, crazy, fucking nutty guy. Matthew Ricky and Hakan Wilhelm. Thank you so much for your continued support. I am not an investment advisor. This is not investment advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. This is not an offer to buy or sell any securities. You should definitely not listen to anything that I have to say. I am not a finance professional. You should consult your local finance professional. Find somebody at least in a fucking bow tie. It doesn't even matter what they do for a living. They're probably smarter than I am. If you listen to anything that I have to say, you will wind up broke. This is a one-star podcast. I appreciate you guys rating it one star on iTunes because that is exactly how much I care about what anybody thinks about the podcast. Give it a thousand one-star ratings. Put me to the bottom of the list. Somebody asked me one day, do you know where you are on the charts? I was like, who cares about the fucking charts? You know, I spend zero seconds thinking about where I am on the podcast charts. Who has time for that shit? I do this because it's therapy for me. That's why. Little do you guys know I should be paying you, but for some reason you're paying me. Let's keep that arrangement going. How about this shit? I got Peter Schiff with me today. Bitcoin is taking a huge crap Over the last like 48 to 72 hours, so I called up Peter Schiff, who usually never does a podcast with me within like a month of doing another one, but he was happier than a pig in shit this morning and said, I got a flight to Switzerland so you can rush me through 
And, uh, and then he started texting me all this stuff like, don't be late. And I got to eat my breakfast at 11 o'clock. So I got all this stuff. So he said yes. And then he gave me all these time constraints. But I managed to get him in. My favorite economist. And uh, had a great discussion with Peter Schiff this morning, June 22nd, 2021. And that is coming up right now. All right. Happy to have with me today the man himself, Peter Schiff, the, uh, well, the, the Bitcoin uh, professional antagonist, I would say, of sorts. You seem to be brought up everywhere on the web as you have made yourself the face of, you know, being the, the anti-Bitcoin guy, which means, you know, this is like an all or nothing bet on your end, Peter. If the thing goes to zero, I mean, you're going to be very right in the public domain. But if it rebounds and goes to 300000 and then the Fed adopts it as backing for the currency, you may have publicly uh, ruined your own reputation. What, how are you feeling today, uh, given this big crash that we're witnessing in real time? Well, I'm definitely not going to lose any sleep worried about what you just said. And But, you know... I don't think I'm a professional Bitcoin antagonist because I don't get paid to do that. So I'm just an amateur. You know, I do it as a hobby. <laughs> I, I actually get paid, you know, to manage money, but I get paid to be smart enough, you know, not to include any of these crypto-related assets uh, in 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 our portfolios. And you know, it really is amazing to me how complacent everybody has been in the face of all of this horrible news that has been coming out and the ominous technical pattern. You know, I talked about it on my podcast that I recorded last night and it's not even out yet. I did it last night and I was holding off because I'm not going to be able to do one for a couple of days. I'm you know, going to be in transit to Switzerland. My flight leaves in a few hours. So you happen to call me, you know, while I'm, you know, kind of just sitting around. But um, I, I spoke about, how bad the technical pattern looks, this massive top. In fact, if you look at it, it's kind of like a giant head and shoulders where the head is around 65,000. The neckline is around 30,000. We just broke it, but the project projection of that pattern is basically sub zero. And obviously, you know, Bitcoin can't go negative, but it can certainly get down to zero. And, you know, they've been throwing everything they can at this. Everybody's been pumping it, pumping it, buying it, borrowing money, MicroStrategy, selling stock. Think about that. They, they, MicroStrategy was able to rally Bitcoin from around 31000 up to 40000 by buying $500 million worth of it on margin. And the minute he announced that, it incited a rally as traders went to front run that so they could buy Bitcoin and resell it to MicroStrategy. And MicroStrategy just announced yesterday their average price of the buy was over 37000 Yeah, I saw We're that. down to 29000 already. Yeah, so they're, I mean, they're down 20% that, already. But the buying is gone. Now what? Now he's saying, oh, I'm going to sell more stock. I'm going to buy more. I'm going to keep diluting my company to buy into a, a falling market. I mean, you're throwing good money after bad. People are just clueless. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Novogratz was on CNBC today, which, by the way, you know, they bring him on to try to save the market, to pump it up. It's nonstop pump. It's their favorite asset. They don't bring anybody on like me saying, get the hell out, sell it, it's going down. It's, right. uh, you know, it, no, 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 it's all buy, 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 buy the dip, hold, you know. And he was saying, well, you know, I don't think there's a lot of downside from here. It's not like it used to be in the past. 
because now we have all this new institutional interest that's going to come and buy this dip. And I think, first of all, I, the, 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 the idea that there was all this institutional interest in Bitcoin was a myth. It was never really there. There were some institutions that were playing this game with uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust because they were able to buy the trust at NAV, hold it for a six-month lockup, and they were able to do that at a time when the fund was trading at a 20, 30, 40% premium to NAV. So the minute they got the shares, they had an instant paper profit that they could mark to market you know, to their investors. And then if they held it, they can dump it. So there were institutions that were willing to take that free money. And I pointed it out on my podcast that eventually the fund would trade at a discount and the gravy train would be over because Grayscale was able to take all that investor cash and buy more Bitcoin with it. But now that it's at a discount, you know, there is no more cash flowing into Grayscale. Uh, they can't use it to buy Bitcoin. And I think whatever institutional interest there was is pretty much gone now. You know, they were interested at 60000 they're not interested below 30000 And, you know, I made a tweet like that, and somebody replied by saying, well, if they were interested at 60000 they should be even more interested at 30000 People forget the interest in Bitcoin is not like interest in a stock where, oh, you liked it at 60, you ought to love it at 30, because if there's a stock that you like at 60, it's a better value at 30, right. because now it's got a lower PE. Right. Now it pays a higher dividend yield. But what was appealing about Bitcoin and the entire sales pitch to institutions was FOMO. It's momentum. It's you better buy Bitcoin because if you don't and your competitors do, you're left behind. You're going to look like a fool. You're going to have to explain to your investors and your shareholders why you missed out on this trade. And there were some people that kind of bought into that. But now that the momentum is gone and the market has crashed, I don't think anybody is afraid of missing out. I think they're glad that they dodged a bullet by not getting in. And why would they want to go in now? There is no more momentum. It's not fear of missing out. Pretty soon it's going to be fear of losing. We haven't even seen that yet. The, the longtime hodlers, they think nothing has changed. They're right. happy to see it down here. They think they can buy more. And what we haven't even seen yet are the margin calls. I keep hearing this guy, Novogratz, was out there saying, oh, the, you know, the margin – the margin is liquidated. No, it's not. My kid Spencer, he just borrowed money like last week. He wasn't on margin until just recently. I think there's been a lot of margin buying, and I think most of the margin buyers haven't had calls yet. They haven't been for forced to sell. Can you imagine what's going to happen if we crash to 20000 and 10000 and you have all this forced selling that wasn't there before? You know, instead of buying on the dip, they're puking these crypto's out on the dip they've got no choice because they have no money to buy they already borrowed money to buy coins they couldn't afford because they were convinced it could only go up uh you know i said on, on twitter on my podcast late yesterday even if i wanted to buy bitcoin if some which i don't want to do but if somebody listening to your podcast wants to buy bitcoin i would not buy any bitcoins until microstrategy sells its last satoshi because I think the you know hedge funds would smell blood. They know you've got this huge right. leveraged position right. in Bitcoin at MicroStrategy. They've borrowed so much money. I mean, it's something like five to ten years of their cash flow has been borrowed 
to buy Bitcoin. They're paying interest on it. I mean, you got to flush this guy out. And, and imagine what happens to the price of Bitcoin when those those coins are dumped on the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your son is a microcosm of exactly what MicroStrategy is doing, which is taking on leverage to buy this asset. And I actually just tweeted before I called you to see if you wanted to do a podcast. And by the way, we're talking about today and yesterday and you did a podcast yesterday and this guy was on today. I didn't even give the date. Today is June 22nd, 2021. So you recorded your podcast yesterday, which was June 21st, 2021. Yeah, but, uh, I, I recorded it last night. Bitcoin was just under 32,000. And it just looked to me like a break of 30,000 was kind of imminent. And then, in, you know, once it gets below 30,000, look out below. I mean, there is no real chart support. I mean, you could argue for maybe 20,000 because that's the old high. So it seems kind of, okay, what was resistance becomes support. But I don't think 20,000 looks like solid support. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we bounced off of 20,000, but I doubt 20,000 is going to hold. I mean, I would think a move down somewhere between 10 and 15,000 might be where we flush everybody out before the next decent rally. But the, the, there's a good chance that the next decent rally doesn't even get back up to 20, 25,000. 30,000 may never trade again if we trade down to, you know, 15. And and then it could roll over again and crash through 5,000, 1,000. I mean, what's to stop it from falling? I mean, there's no value Nothing, there. There's, right. there's, you know, there's no value buyers that are going to come in and say, wow, I'm getting a good deal on Bitcoin. Like, you know, you would see a stock plunging and like, wow, this is a great deal. Look at all these assets. Look at the book value. Look at the earnings. Look at the dividend. You don't have any of that. And you also don't have the historic relationship. Let's say you have a commodity like gold, right? Let's say gold really starts to fall, right? People start dumping it. You're going to have people coming up and saying, oh, I'm a jeweler. I need gold. Oh, this is a great price. Let me load up my inventory because I, I need gold. I'm in the jewelry business. Or you're a, uh, a chip manufacturer. Oh, gold is cheap. Let me buy a bunch of it because I need it for you know my semiconductors. Or, you know, people look at gold and they say, wow, gold's really come down. It's very cheap relative to oil. Let me buy it. Oh, this, this is really cheap relative to wheat or soybeans or any other commodity where you can graph 100-year price relationships that would guide you as to knowing when gold is cheap and when a value investor would, would step up to buy gold on the cheap. And then, of course, you have central banks uh, that are always looking for bargains to increase their gold reserves. So you have all these natural buyers for gold. And the same is true for other commodities, that if they really start to fall, at some point, the buying comes in. But with Bitcoin, there's no buyer to come in. I mean, you have these diehards, but these guys are already all in. I mean, how much money can they possibly have when they're already 100% long Bitcoin there are no value guys that are going to say, wow, Bitcoin was expensive at 60000 Now I can buy some cheap uh, Bitcoin at 10000 Cheap based on what? Well, it's Ten just years a, it's ago, impossible it to value. It was a dollar. Right. It's, it's impossible it to value. Cheap? It's still expensive. You know, I'm mystified that um, MicroStrategy is only down 10% today because I tweeted out uh, about a half hour before we started the podcast that at some point, you know, if the company has to delever, either sell the Bitcoin off uh, or sell stock to, uh, you know, to to make up for the losses, 
uh, you know, because the company does have a billion seven, I think, in debt that it has to deal with uh, at this point. You know, at some point, you would expect the sell-off in that name to accelerate as Bitcoin when, went lower, right? The, the lower it goes, the more likely it is that, like you said, either it's going to have to puke this asset off its balance sheet because it's, you know, essentially collateral. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, the debt is what's dangerous, I think. there. I think the company does something yeah. like $500 million a year top line. And they have. Uh, oh, I mentioned on my podcast yesterday, and that was before today's you know ten percent drop in MicroStrategy and the big drop in in Bitcoin. I mentioned that as of yesterday, when Bitcoin was just under uh, thirty two thousand, like thirty one five, MicroStrategy on all of its Bitcoin, it it spent about two point seven billion dollars, I think, buying Bitcoin, right, with mostly borrowed money, either in the form of convertible preferred stock or senior secured notes, right? Most of the money was borrowed. That as of yesterday, its unrealized profit was only 10%. Right. I mean, 20%. 20% yesterday. It's probably been cut in half today, and so they're only up about 10% on paper. But my point was, if they actually tried to realize that gain, it'd be a loss. I mean, if MicroStrategy wanted to sell their Bitcoin right now, where do you think they'd get out? I mean, nowhere near where it is. They, they, they tanked the market. But I also pointed out that while MicroStrategy was up 20% on paper in Bitcoin, its stock was up, I think, uh, 50 or 60%, I forget, right. on the year. But, but this is even key, bigger. If you go back to March of 2020, or not March, it was August, August of 2020, not near, not on the lows, but August of 2020, that's when Microsoft, MicroStrategy first announced its big Bitcoin buy, its first big Bitcoin buy. From that point, the stock is still up 4X because it bought Bitcoin, even though the Bitcoin it bought is only up 20%. So why shouldn't the stock crash? I mean, it should collapse even though it's down a lot from its high, it got to 1,315, and now it's at 525. Why shouldn't the stock lose all of its Bitcoin-related gains if the Bitcoin it bought lost all of its gains? Because at one point, it had huge gains in Bitcoin, right? When Bitcoin was at 65,000, and its cost basis was maybe sub-20,000, right. they looked like a hero, right? He was a big hero. He was on television all the time. He still is trying to convince other CEOs to follow in his lead. Look at how much money we're making by putting Bitcoin on our balance sheet. Right. He is blowing up his balance sheet. I just tweeted out, you know, he plugged his balance sheet into Bitcoin, and now his balance sheet is, is being electrocuted. Well, <laughs> yeah, and He's got to pull the plug. His cost to basis. Stop it from being fried to a crisp. His cost basis and the price of Bitcoin are starting to converge now, right? They're starting to converge. Towards well, yeah. Them. You know who's down in Bitcoin? Tesla. That Tesla bought about, I think it was thirty-two, thirty-three thousand, was the the cost basis for a Tesla, and they took profits on like ten percent of their Bitcoin, so that might have reduced their average cost, but it was only a ten percent that they sold. But looking at the price of Bitcoin now, which is you know just under thirty thousand, um, they're at a loss. So Tesla's losing losing money on its Bitcoin. So how is this an example that other CEOs are going to want to follow? Uh, you know, when this stuff is blowing up. Meanwhile, look at the money. Thaler borrowed money a week ago, 
Six-year loan, I think, was the term, but it's six and an eighth percent coupon, 6.125. And he's already down like 20% on the Bitcoin he bought with borrowed money, and he still has to pay the interest on the money he borrowed, and he's already lost 20% of it. <laughs> yeah, I want to make a point, though, about something you said before. Um, and by the way, there's speculation that Tesla blew out all of its Bitcoin. I saw on Twitter yesterday, the people are trying to track their wallet and one person had speculated that they had blown it all out, although obviously that's not confirmed. And uh, But I'd be interested to know, and actually my friend Kubiko tweeted this morning, that we should have, that Elon Musk's personal Bitcoin holdings and the company's Bitcoin holdings should be scrutinized very heavily. We should know when and how they were bought and sold and at what price. And I imagine they're going to have to disclose that when they release their next annual report. Uh, because they've been including- yeah well i would definitely say if well first of all i mean uh yeah musk i mean knew that some of his tweets were gonna hurt the price of bitcoin and uh and yet he tweeted out anyway but he has been kind of reassuring the twitter verse that he's got diamond hands and that he's not selling and that he's holding and that the 10 percent that they sold before that was just kind of a feeler. He, he tweeted out that they did that just to see if you could sell the Bitcoin, that, that much Bitcoin without moving the market. And so he just did it to just see what would happen, but that they have no intention of selling the other 90%. If they actually end up selling, despite his public pronouncement that he wasn't going to sell, right? obviously those tweets were meant to reassure the market. Right? And, and to try to keep the price up, if he then took advantage of his ability to manipulate the price by then dumping anyway, right? selling his, uh, his Twitter, uh, selling his uh, Bitcoin, even though he was publicly claiming that he wasn't going to sell, the question is, would that be market manipulation? Or is that, you know, I mean, obviously, if it was a security, I mean, it would be illegal, right? You can't do that. You can't publicly say one thing about a security and then do the opposite. Now, the SEC doesn't regulate uh, Bitcoin, but he's the CEO of a company that owns Bitcoin, so it's an asset on their balance sheet, and he is trying to manipulate that asset by encouraging people to buy what the company is looking to sell. I don't know. I mean, but, you know, if it's not illegal, my thinking is the government is going to make it illegal. They'll come back, even if they can't go after Musk, they're going to probably write all sorts of laws that uh, apply to these cryptos. Uh, you know, I think back of, you know, remember, you know, Jonathan Lebed when he was a kid in high school and, you know, he got busted for pumping and dumping because he went in there and he touted stocks and he said great things about them after he bought them. The price went up and then he sold them and he made a bunch of money. I mean, nobody is prosecuting the guys on Reddit who are pretty much doing the exact same thing, except they're not using actual stocks. They're doing it with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, do you think there's or, a... No, actually, no, excuse me. They're doing it with actual stocks. They're doing it with these mean stocks. So I don't even know, like, how this is different. Why all of a sudden is everybody, like, you know, giving these guys a pass uh, for doing what in the past that they've really uh, hammered people for doing? Do you think there's a price that Sailor calls it quits, or do you think it's just until you, – you think he just keeps going until he's forced out, if he's going to be forced No, no, no. He is, like, he is completely obsessed. I mean – I've referred to him really as like Captain Ahab. To me, that's who he is. And Bitcoin is his Moby Dick. 
and he is obsessed with Bitcoin to the detriment of all of the shareholders at MicroStrategy, who are like you know the crew, the, the crew members on the Pequot, which was which was his you know boat in Melville's novel, and he's taking all these guys down with him. There, I mean, all the shareholders are going to die with their cap and Ahab unless they mutiny and get rid of this guy. Um, but my guess would be that you know there should be no shareholders left in MicroStrategy that are not completely into Bitcoin. I mean, if you bought it as a software company and you still own it, I mean, you just have not been paying attention. It's not a software company. It's a leveraged Bitcoin uh, closed-end fund. That's really what it is. And so maybe the entire shareholder base has turned over and they're just buying it as a proxy for Bitcoin, in which case it really competes with Bitcoin, as does the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Is a, comp is a competition for Bitcoin because you could buy it at a 10% discount to the NAV that it holds. So there are a lot of other vehicles that compete with it. But I think that this guy is so in and so obsessed, he will never sell until he has no choice. And there are people that say, hey, he owns most of the stock. I mean, he can never be forced to sell. Well, you don't own the company when you can't pay your creditors, right? If you can't pay back your bondholders, they own your company. Right. And you know, I don't know that, you know, if the bondholders end up owning MicroStrategy in a bankruptcy, I don't know that they're going to hold all that Bitcoin. I mean, they may sell it for whatever they can get, right? Yeah, of course, of course they're not going to hold it. Of course they're <laughs> and, not going to hold know, it. Even if he keeps issuing new stock, if he keeps selling stock, he dilutes himself. Right. And eventually, if he sells enough equity, even if they don't go bankrupt, right. the new shareholders outvote him. Well, yeah, right? and, and if, it's dilutive. If, if, yeah, because if the stock really crashes to way below the value of its Bitcoin and new investors start coming in there, they can eventually get control of the board, fire sailor, and blow out the Bitcoin for whatever they can get. Yeah, which probably wouldn't be a bad idea. If he's still got like a 5% gain, an unrealized gain, or a 10% unrealized gain, I think given his... No, 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 he's not going to have a gain. He's going to have a huge No, but I mean now. I mean now he's got like, you know, I think his cost yeah, but, business is 27,000. Yeah, it's like, get the fuck out now and just, you know, start yeah, the company they can't over take as a hot control. dog company. Yeah, but he hasn't sold enough stock. I'm not sure what the covenants are in those bonds. Like, how far can Bitcoin drop? Is there a point where they get to kind of like demand repayment if the collateral is, you know, falls to a certain degree? I mean, I haven't read all the fine print. In, in, in those junk bonds that he was selling. You know what I find interesting? Uh, but you know what I find interesting? Every time there's one of these dips, Peter, Pompliano tweets that he bought the dip. Every time there is one, at the last couple of dips, so I, I follow a couple of Bitcoin fanatics, one of which is your son, Spencer. The last couple of dips, Spencer's been tweeting, I would buy more, but I don't have any cash. That's that's what he's been saying. <laughs> the, the last couple of, So I'm like, turn around and, and just read that. Read what you wrote. This, this morning he tweeted and then deleted um, you know, if I had any more dollars, I would use them to buy Bitcoin. And I was just like, well, you don't have any more dollars. So like, you know, it's sometimes it's just, well, I know. Not, well, the other day he, he came to me, not no, no, he wanted to sell his car to buy more Bitcoin. This is like a couple weeks ago. I bought him a really nice car, this Audi Q3. Oh my God. It is a great a nice car. car. You know, it's, you know, top of the line. Uh, you know, you know, I mean, obviously it's, I mean, it's not the fanciest car, but for an 18 year old, it's a nice, nice ride. And, and so I got on this car and I almost put it in his name, but cause I just liability wise, I said, Hey, why do I want an 18 year old driving around a car where I, I got liability? 
but the insurance was so high to have it in his name, I ended up putting it in my own name. And it's a good thing I did that because he might have sold it to buy more Bitcoin. And, you know, and I even think he's asked me to borrow money. I'm not going to loan you money to buy. I'm not even going to give you any money for anything because you're just going to buy Bitcoin with it. And I don't want to contribute to that. You're just, you know, throwing, throwing, throwing uh, your money away by uh, by buying it. But, you know, well, isn't I, it funny? I, I don't you find fun it funny? At- don't you find it funny that he's constantly ridiculing you online, yet he's turning to you for money? Like if if you're well, no, he's if not you're the, getting any. If, Although, I know, you know but, but isn't it funny that you're, you're the one with the money? You're the you're the good capital allocator. You're the guy that's built wealth for himself over the course of decades. To, you know, you're the one that's providing your family with a good standard of living, buying your son a, a you know a beautiful Audi Q3, which is a nicer car than I've ever had, and I'm fucking forty years old, right? But you know, and, and that, then he's turning to you and saying, "Hey, you're an idiot with money. By the way, can I have some money?" <laughs> yeah, but you know. That is typical of all these young, uh, you know, millennials with their Bitcoin. They think us baby boomers are a bunch of fools. We just don't get it. We're not smart. We're dinosaurs. These guys are making fun of me all day long, and I'm just laughing because I know in the end they're just they're going to be broke. You know, and, and Pompliano, you know, because he, you know, he's got such a large allocation of Bitcoin. He's like, I don't know if he's 50 percent of his wealth, he said, or all of his money. So it's like, yeah, how is it that it goes down and you could buy more? Every Even time, every single time. How right. he's buying more. Right. Why are you buying more now? I mean, you bought it supposedly at $100, $10, and you're buying more at $30,000, $40,000. do not you have enough by now? You know, I mean, that's what I was saying about MicroStrategy. You already got all this Bitcoin. Don't you have enough? Why are you going on margin to buy more? That is not the actions of a sane, rational man. Correct. That's the actions of a desperate man who is desperately trying to prop up Bitcoin because yeah. he already owns it. And so he's borrowing more money to buy it to bail himself out of his own losing trade. Yep. But, you know, I tweeted to Pompliano yep. because he starts saying how, oh, you know, I'm a long term investor. I'm buying hold. You know, I, I, I'm going to hold it forever. I'm going to give my Bitcoin to my grandkids. Yeah, give your Bitcoin to your grandkids. They're going to give a shit about your Bitcoin. But all of a sudden, all these Bitcoin <laughs> traders are long-term investors. And I tweeted out to him. I said, hey, what's the definition of a long-term investor? It's a short-term trader who got it wrong. Right. right? That's why these guys are holding to eternity now. In fact, he quoted Warren Buffett, Pompliano, and he said that um, um, Buffett's favorite saying is, my favorite holding period is forever. Right. right. So. Buffett likes to buy a stock and hold it forever. Yeah, because he's buying into a business that he wants to own because he wants to collect the dividends forever. He, he want, it's a real asset. You can buy and hold a dividend-paying stock forever. You don't buy Bitcoin forever. It pays nothing. The longer you hold it, the more opportunity cost there is. You get nothing from Bitcoin. You know, these guys that are saying, I'm just going to hold it forever. Yeah, right. Okay, hold it forever. When are you going to get tired of holding something that has no value and has no income? Well, I mean, and- at some point... You, 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 you know, you're going to sell it. The idea of why do you need to take on more leverage, right? Forget about the fact that, like, Pompliano can keep saying, I just bought the dip, I just bought the dip, I just bought the dip. He's not disclosing dollar amounts or how much or, like, why. But then the question, like, you just raised, which is, like, a good question. It's like, if you've owned it since 100, why, you know, why buy more now? That's, like... The analogy would be, or like, if you're sailor, why go to the, you know, why go tap the ATM again? If you're sailor and you walk into a casino with a hundred dollars and you go to a roulette table and you take a wild ass guess on, you know, the number twenty five, 
and the number 25 comes out, and you just bet it all on 25, and you turned your 100 into 3,500, just like that. Why? What? What is the mindset of a person that instead of just playing with the thirty five hundred dollars, turns around and goes back to the ATM and pays a five dollar fee to take out another hundred dollars? It's like, what do you need that for? You just won thirty five hundred dollars, right? So, it, it's similar yeah. analogy, right? Like what? Like how- I mean, this whole they have to they have to keep telling everybody it's a confidence to buy, it's a confidence buy, game, never Peter. sell because remember, there there is smart money that is selling. Right, Bitcoin hasn't dropped from sixty-five thousand to twenty-nine thousand with nobody selling. So there are people who are selling, and I think the people who are selling are the ones trying to convince everybody else not to sell, to hold forever, right. to buy on the dip, because that's the only way they can get out. So the people who are holding and who are the patsies in this, right? They have to figure out who is the one that's selling. How did it get from sixty-five thousand to thirty thousand? You know, somebody sold. Somebody sold a lot of Bitcoin. Who's selling and why? And why am I not selling? Why am I just holding on? Because the price is falling. It's like the ship is sinking, and you got these people that refuse to get off. Yet a lot of other people have already jumped ship, and you're there like, well, this thing is sinking, and maybe you're up to your waist in water. Well, what are you waiting for? Till you're up to your eyeballs in water? You better get out, right? But, you know, they're, they're just clueless. Yeah, it's, you know, what's interesting is it, it's just a confidence game. And the the, the problem is that you, you were talking about the, the difference in the generations, right? The younger people, and I have people do this to me too, like kids that are 18, 19, 22, just explaining to me, like, I don't get it. You know, or like, you don't get it, Peter. Like, you're the idiot. You don't get it. And the sad thing is they have so many things right. There's so many kids out there that are literally just discovering for the first time, like the rules of supply and demand. So like, you know, when they say, oh, limited supply, like, yeah, that would be an argument if it was actually a commodity, if it was something of value, if it was something, you know, that had some, you know, that had a cash flow stream to it or something like that. You know, but it doesn't apply because Bitcoin isn't a commodity. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't produce anything. It doesn't provide yeah. any service. So they're, they're dancing around what I think are the intrinsic discoveries that you have to make to really, in my opinion, eventually land on gold and land on, you know, uh, equity investing in, in uh, cash generative companies. But they're doing it. They're doing this dance around this, this nothing, this big, like, air yeah. pocket of nothing. And, I mean, and, and, and that's why that um, it's amazing, you know, because the guys on CNBC are just scratching their heads. Everybody on there, you know, can't really figure out, oh, why it's going down. Why aren't people buying the dip? You know, it's such a good value. And, you know, they, they, there isn't a person that works on that network, really, that, that, you know, the anchors that understands anything about investing. And, and that's how they were, they, were, they were so easily taken in by these Bitcoin shills, uh, the guys that spend all their money advertising on the network who come on all the time, they were able to fool, uh, you know, these, these actors, uh, you know, who don't really understand investing, able to con them that Bitcoin is some kind of legitimate investment. Right. right. That it's, you know, that it's digital gold, that it's just like gold. And it's like, how is it just like gold? It is nothing like gold. You can't do anything with Bitcoin that you can do with gold. But they keep saying, well, but it's even more divisible than gold. 
Who gives a damn? You're dividing nothing. Who cares how divisible it is? Well, it's more portable than gold. Yeah, but you're porting nothing. When right. I'm transporting <laughs> gold, I'm transporting right. actual metal that you could do something with. Right. When I'm transporting Bitcoin, I'm transporting nothing. They what difference does it make? They how quickly it moves. They think that they think I know. that it being they, they, they think that well, it being it's tangible. Gold and, right. Yeah. They think that being tangible They're like, it's and physical. better than gold in every way. Right. No. It's it's it, it's not better than gold in any way. It's it's nothing. It'd be like saying I got a new cryptocurrency. It's digital oil. Well, how? Well, you, can you can you power anything with it? Well, no, but it's digital oil. You know, or hey, I got some digital wheat. This is way better than wheat. Yeah, but you you know, no, it's not. You can't make any bread out of it. You know, they they just somehow think that gold's value has absolutely nothing to do with the metal. Right. And that's why they have right. to completely diminish the metal. Like, well, yeah, well, if gold wasn't money, I mean, it would be really cheap. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> I mean, we're not using it as money now. What's the price? Right. I mean, central banks use it as a store of value and, and kind of money. But no, but we're not using it as money like people were 100 years ago or 500 years ago. I mean, 100 years ago in America, everybody walking around the street had gold coins in their pockets. Right. People don't, you know, people aren't doing that now. Well, the hubris is they think that gold being a metal they think that gold's tangibility. They think the fact that gold is, you know, actually something that's tangible. They they think that that's a negative instead of a positive. Or you know, they they think that its commodity use is something like Gary Silbert said to you in that salt conference debate you guys had. Like, well, what are you going to use it for? Dentistry? It's like actually, yes. I mean, other other things too, right? There's an entire jewelry industry based on it, as you said. But like, but like, yes. You know, like, and what do you, like, what's one thing you're going to use your Bitcoin for? One. Just name one. See, there's they, nothing. They're so ass but, over. And you know, look, and they keep saying, they keep saying Bitcoin is scarce. All right. You know what? We just passed 10,000 cryptocurrencies like a month ago, maybe two, I forget. As I'm talking to you now, there's 10,561. So just since we hit 10,000 cryptocurrencies, another 561 of these things has been created out of thin air. Right. I mean, so, I mean, it's going to keep on growing. I mean, when was the last time they discovered another precious metal? I mean, they haven't. I mean, there's only X number of metals on the periodic table. There's no more. Right. There is an unlimited number. And people keep saying, well, that's not a fair comparison because none of them are Bitcoin. No, <laughs> none of them are named Bitcoin, but they're, they're, they're pretty much the same. Right. What the hell difference does it make? There's because you can't do anything with it. I mean, there is a difference between gold and copper. Yes, they're both metals, but they don't have the same properties. So you can't just always substitute one for the other. Sometimes you can, but you can't always do it. But pretty much if I wanted to own a cryptocurrency, I got a lot to choose from other than Bitcoin. <laughs> right, exactly. And if there's 10,000 of them and you know some of the protocols are, they're not Bitcoin, so we hand it to the bulls there. There is only one Bitcoin, yeah. and there is this argument. I know, but Bitcoin's going to be and the funny thing about it very, is when, very, I hear, very when I hear the Bitcoin guys right trying to make fun of Dogecoin, and they're like, ah, that's crazy. Dogecoin was created as a joke. Well, who cares if it was created as a joke? It's the same as Bitcoin. Right. That's the reality. Bitcoin's a joke, too, just that the people holding it don't get the joke. <laughs> right? They just think that, that it applies to to Dogecoin. And I know, you know, now we're back above 30,000 as we're talking, right? We're back at 30,500. And you know what that means? Everyone's going to be saying the bottom is in. This is it. You see, it had the one dip below 30,000. 
That's the buying opportunity. I bought the dip. All you suckers who got out are a bunch of idiots. Right? Everybody's going to be calling uh, the bottom. And the next thing you know, we're going to be at 20000 <laughs> Because nothing goes down in a straight line, right? Especially something as highly manipulated as Bitcoin. And I'm sure that the down volume, money-wise, dwarfs the up volume. Because once somebody gets out and unloads a lot of Bitcoin, all right, now a little somebody comes in and manipulates the price back up again so that they can unload even more. Look at the supply, I bet, of Tether. Look at Tether's out right now. Tether is the number three cryptocurrency now by a long shot. It's got more than a 50% lead on Binance Coin, which is number four. But, you know, it's, it, you know, it's catching up to Ethereum. Ethereum now is... Uh, 208 billion and uh, Tether is 62 billion. I mean, I think by maybe before the end of the year, you could see Tether in the number two spot because they keep creating Tethers. So Tether can right. only go up in market cap. And here's the thing the more selling pressure there is on Bitcoin, the more Tethers magically get created to buy it. Now, people try to say, well, you see, that's all the new money that wants to buy Bitcoin and they're buying Tether first. Well, if so much new money wanted to buy Bitcoin, why is the price falling? I think what they do is when Bitcoin is falling, the, the, the big whales, the powers that be, try to prop it up by buying it. But they don't want to buy it up with actual money. Right. So they buy it with Tether. It, they, just, they just created counterfeit Tethers out of thin air. And so they're going to keep growing. So maybe by the end of the year, there won't be 60, it won't have a 60 uh, $2 billion market cap. It'll have an $80 billion market cap. And maybe by the end of the year, Ethereum's market cap will be less than that. And it'll be in the in, in the number two spot. And if if that's the case with Tether, the whole fucking thing's going to come crashing down at some point. And it's going to be ugly when it does. Yeah, I think that's why the big, the big guys love it when MicroStrategy goes in and buys $500 million worth of Bitcoin because he ain't paying with Tether. Right. He's right. paying with real money. Yeah, I think something like 90% of the Bitcoin that's traded is traded with Tether. So people are selling their Bitcoin. Somebody sells it and gets 30000 but they got 30000 in Tether. What if they don't actually have anything? What if they got nothing for their Bitcoin? They don't know. They're just holding on to these Tether. They may not have gotten out. They think they're out, but they may still be in. Because if there's <laughs> only $0.10 cents on, of, of actual dollars for every Tether that's out there, it's only a question of when is there going to be a run on Tether? Right. When are the people who have Tether and it's going to happen. are going to say, you know what? I just want my money. I don't right. want my Tether anymore. I want my actual dollars. It's going to happen. Well, especially when people lose interest in cryptocurrency trading and especially when people get margin calls. Because I don't know if you can settle your margin call with Tether. See, if I borrowed money to buy Bitcoin and I got to pay back the loan... I don't think I can pay it back in Tether. Or if I do, whoever, whoever got paid back is going to have to sell the Tether to get real money. So maybe the margin calls that could cause a run on Bitcoin could end up causing a run on Tether as well and then accelerate the decline when people realize that they don't have any money. I mean, what if people start saying, I want to sell my Bitcoin, but I won't take Tether. Right. I want actual dollars. I don't want fake dollars. I want real dollars. Well, there's not that many of those that want to buy Bitcoin. And what I'll leave you with is, because I know we got a hard stop, was, you know, it, it was just May, May 18th, 2021, so a, a month and four days ago, or a month and three days ago, 
that Novogratz, who was on CNBC this morning, Bitcoin was at $45,511. And Novogratz said on Squawk Box, I think 40000 should hold. We'll consolidate, then we'll have another leg up. And here we are at 30000 And Yeah, and you know, if that was me, if CNBC still had me on, which they haven't in years, and they had me on to talk about gold, I get, I I get better ratings than CNBC previous... anyways, Peter. You know that? Like, I, I, right. I, you know, there's like 40,000 people that are going to listen to this podcast today, right? I mean, but they... the point I'm making is if, if, they had, if they invited me on CNBC and they had a clip from you know, an appearance in the past where I said something that turned out to be wrong, they would play that clip like right away oh and kind of like yeah. hold, hold me accountable. Hey, Peter, look at what you said the last time you were on. Oh, you were totally wrong there. Huh? What do you got to say for yourself, right? But they'll never call him out. They'll never call any of these crypto people out on all this BS, um, all the pie in the sky. You know, you know why all these guys got laser beams on their eyes, right? That's for 100,000, right? They were all calling for 100,000 this year, and we're putting laser beams on our eyes because we're laser focused on 100,000. Well, now we're 30,000 and headed down. What does that mean, though? I mean, it was all this What does it mean? What does it mean, laser focused on 100,000? Like, what do you do? You don't do anything. All you do is promote it. What do you 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 laser focused on? You also don't sell, right? 100,000 or bust, right? That's the whole idea is the way we get it to 100,000 is we don't sell. Ah. And, you know, and yeah, it's, you know, it's a hundred thousand or bust. Unfortunately, it's going to be bust, but that's the same strategy for the meme stocks, for AMC, for GameStop. Just it's going to the moon because we're never going to sell. <laughs> I'm buying this stock that pays no dividends in a, and I own shares of a company that's losing money, but I'm just never going to sell them. So the price can only go up and I can pretend that I'm actually rich, even though I'm, I, I actually don't hold any, have anything because if I'm determined to never sell, then what good is a stock that pays no dividends? The only way that you can make money is if you sell. But the problem is, how do all the people that are committed not to selling, how do they all sell? They can't. <laughs> and somebody has to buy. Yeah, Peter, listen, I appreciate your time today. One last thing, I want to congratulate you on finally getting verified on uh, on Twitter. I guess you bitched and moaned enough to finally get your blue check mark. So, uh yeah, you know, why do they call them a blue check mark? Because they're all white now. I think they used to be blue. I think I'm looking at one that's blue uh, right now. Well, all, all I see are white ones. Is there a reason that all, they're white on my, all my... T- Maybe I have something selected, but <clears throat> I only see white check marks. Yeah, I don't know. But the point is, congratulations. I know you've been lobbying for <laughs> it for like, you know, two years or something. So is it, it's got to be a proud yeah, day and for you know, the, the funny family. The funny thing about it is... I, they finally reopened the application process, and so I applied. And I more than meet the criteria on you know so many different ways. And so I figure, okay, you know, this is like, yeah, how am I not going to get verified? And it took about a month, maybe more, for them to inform me that my application was turned down. And they said you can apply again in 30 days. You know, you've been turned down. You know, you're not for verification. And so I tweeted out that night, like within you know a half hour of my reading this thing, that I my application was turned down. I tweeted out and and you know and tagged uh, tagged Dorsey. I said, "What's going on? I mean, how is it possible that I, you didn't verify me?" You know, and there was a lot of action on that tweet. I got a lot of likes, a lot of retweets, a lot of people you know you know replying to me and Dorsey. And then the very next morning without me doing anything, I get an email in my inbox 
your you know your, your application has been approved. I so, think I think you know, it was because I, didn't I apply weighed again. in. Huh? I think it was because I weighed in in your defense. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Maybe you were the guy. But now I'm you know you spoke at the beginning of the interview that I'm you know one of the most popular guys, uh, negative Bitcoin guys on Twitter, and I just passed this week. I passed Muriel Rubini in followers, and so he is one of the big uh, Bitcoin bears, and he always had more followers than I do, and so I passed him. But uh, I, there's, I still have some targets. You know, I, I, I wrote out a tweet. I figured I was in eighth place. You know, I don't know. I looked at him. I was sitting in my car, <laughs> you know, waiting, you know, waiting for my passport. I, I tried to think of something to do. So I tried to think of all the other Bitcoin bears, you know, the one that I thought that was the most popular was Bill Gates. I mean, he's come out against Bitcoin, and so he's got like 57 million followers. So I got no chance of catching Bill Gates. So That's all right. You're beating, unless he you're turns beating positive uh, on Bitcoin. Novogratz. I just, Novogratz has got 323,000. And Novogratz follows, yeah, but he's he a follows bull. me on Twitter. He's a so bull. He can't be that, can't I'm be comparing that myself to the Bears. But you got Paul Krugman, who's way out ahead of me. Warren Buffett, Buffett, who's way out ahead. <laughs> but I mean, the one I, I'm I'm trying to get to Michael Berry. He's right ahead of me. I I could pass Michael Berry this year. He's a bear. Then I got to pass uh, Christine Lagarde. She's not that far ahead of me. But who I'd like to pass is Nassim Nassim Tlaib. I could I could catch him. He's got a good lead on me right now. But um, you know, there's some smart people that are bearish on Bitcoin that I agree with, and then you got some you know people I don't agree with at all, like Paul Krugman. You know, it, you know, that's one of the few things we agree on is is Bitcoin. But, you know, there are some, you know, what's his name? Uh, Michael Saylor's got 1.2 million followers as a bull. We talked about Pompliano. He's closing in on a million followers. Yeah. I mean, when a year ago I had more followers than he did. I mean, this guy is like racking up followers, you know, as Bitcoin is crashing more and more people. He'll, he, he could hit a million followers this week. Yeah, well, I tell you what, everybody is uh, sowing their own seeds for the future. And when the Peter Schiff was right, <laughs> 2022 or 2024 video comes out and you're finally widely accepted back on major news networks. Because, I, by the way, yeah, I went back. Well, I they, went those back, networks won't be around. I went back you know, and what really watched, bothers me is, though, they keep talking about Bitcoin is freedom, Bitcoin is hope. It's, it's you know, because they're trying to make it out like because I'm anti-Bitcoin, I, I, I don't believe in all these causes of freedom and prosperity and liberty. And, you know, you know, I, I don't want to move away from the Fed and central banking and fiat money. See, I believe in all those things. I want all those things. I just look at Bitcoin as like a false prophet. So I'm not going to follow it. You know, I just don't think it's going to deliver on any of these promises. And I think it's going to leave a lot of disappointment in its wake, a lot of a bankruptcy. I think it's going to lead to even more government and more regulation. So I, I don't think what's happening is a good thing. I'm just calling it out. And the people who drank the Kool-Aid uh, just don't understand that or don't like it. Uh, but all of this will, you know, be obvious eventually. I mean, hopefully people won't blame it all on me. Oh, it would have succeeded. But for Peter Schiff, you're the guy that wrecked Bitcoin. Look, <laughs> there's no way I could wreck it. If it was going to work, nothing I could say against it would right. matter. Right. You know, but all I'm trying to do is warn people about it, um, you know, to, to, to prevent it. And, yeah, you know, people want to make fun of me. Hey, if people would, would have bought Bitcoin at 100, look how much money they would have made. Yeah, I get that. But look how much money people are going to lose who bought it at 60000 right. 50000 40000 who are buying it at 30000 Oh, and by the way, a lot of the people who did buy it at 100 bought more at 50000 
and their average price could be higher than it is right now. Right. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you made money on some of your Bitcoin. It's how did you do overall on your all the Bitcoin that you bought over the years, right? And so I think a lot of people who bought early are still going to end up losing a lot of money. The people who aren't going to lose money are the people who never bought. And that's what I tried to explain when I did a video in February called The Anatomy of Bubbles Bursting, when you talk about things like the laws of large numbers and blow off tops and, you know, dollar cost averaging up and all the things that you're talking about. You know, the going from 100 to 50,000 story uh, is over. Okay. You know, I'm sorry, but it's over. For it to duplicate, you know, it would have to go from 50,000 to 50 million. And that just doesn't look like it's going to happen. All right, Peter, I know you're on a hard I got to hop. Okay. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. That was the one, the only Mr. Peter Schiff on his way to a plane to go to Switzerland to do some rich guy shit. I don't know what goes on in Switzerland. I've never been there. But I also didn't own an Audi Q3 at age 18. So uh, they're on a different family dynamic. But I want to thank him for coming on. It was a last-minute thing to bring him on today. And uh, nice to be able to drop this episode in between episodes to talk a little bit about whether or not the Bitcoin bubble is, in fact, bursting. We'll have to see. We've seen these drawdowns before. Uh, and right before Bitcoin uh, explodes higher again. So we'll have to see if this is that case. It's definitely a saga. The drama is definitely worth watching, in my opinion. And uh, we'll have to see what happens. But thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate my patrons for continuing to make the podcast possible. But for right now, I'm the fuck out. Peace.